0: Trudy Kerr and welcome to The Interview. In this series I'll be talking to artists, campaigners, men and women of influence, musicians, performers and anyone who shapes the fabric of our society. Today I'm excited to be talking to an actor, content writer, course developer and trainer, a Scotsman, a redhead and a downright lovely chap. However Jonathan is best known as an actor. Whether be treading the boards of the Manuel Theatre or playing lead roles in international films, Jonathan is nothing less than a very lovable and popular chap. Jonathan! Done. How lovely oh, to see you. What a
1: lovely introduction. I feel as though that could be my eulogy that you've just <laughs> <laughs> Like, really. Did like I do you so, justice? Oh my goodness. Like, wow, that was beautiful. Thank you. Trudy. You're so
0: welcome. It's so good to see you. It's good to see you
1: as well. I'm glad to be here. I'm happy to be here. Thank you for having well, me.
0: We've known each other a long time. We have mutual friends. Yes. yes. But I bumped into you recently yes. at Corinthia Palace Hotel. When you were part of a a production, we're going to talk about that in just a second, but you were actually waiting for a COVID test.
1: I was, yeah. I was waiting for that um, glorious piece of plastic to be inserted into my brains and scramble them. Uh, How many times have you had a COVID test? Oh, like in the last month, it was almost, I mean, there was a period where it was at least every other day because of work, right? Because of filming. And... I mean, just like anything, some of these COVID swabbers are very gentle and very quick and very efficient (laughs) and very good, and some of them not so much. And then when you start to see the repeat swabbers coming through the door, you're like, oh my God, it's her again.
0: Well, um, I, I've got to tell you, I've only had a swab taken once Okay. and it was the, the armed forces of Malta. And I'm going to just say that they were very efficient.
1: Okay. Well, that's great.
0: Less compassion, more efficiency. Yeah. And, and I can imagine though, if you are, if your job title right now is swabber, yeah. you probably had enough of sticking pieces of plastic up people's noses. Well,
1: most definitely. I mean, I, I, I actually said to this one in particular who I did find a bit, um, shall we say brutal uh she uh, had swabbed me and as I popped my eyeball back into its socket uh I said to her so ma'am tell me what did you do before the pandemic to which she replied well I'm a nurse why do you ask and I said really I said I would have gone with gardener and she said why it was straight over her head I said well really I I thought you were planting seeds in my brain that's how deep you were Um, But yeah, I mean, it is what it is. I'm grateful that we're able to live in a country where we can do this and be this safe and continue to work because as we know, other people and other artists and other countries are less fortunate. They have nothing going on at the moment. I mean, here at the moment, there's a drought, um, but at least we can still work in
0: some way. So, well we'll come to that yeah. as well in yeah. a few minutes but you mentioned uh, being on a production so we're going to yeah. jump straight in you've just wrapped
1: yeah.
0: uh, to catch a spy for Hallmark that's right playing the character Patrick yeah and this is going to be released on the June the 20th.
1: Yep June the 20th.
0: So first of all, tell me about this. How did this come about? And and June the 20th, bearing in mind you just finished filming, seems very, very soon. Yeah,
1: yeah, it's it's incredible. Um, So yeah, it goes out June 20th um, on the Hallmark Network, which is obviously international. Um, It all just kind of came to me, as I've just said, there's a drought at the moment. There's nothing really going on. Um, I certainly haven't had any acting work since the start of the pandemic, and... I was contacted by the head of Teatro Malta uh, asking, artistic director rather, asking if uh, if I was still on the island because, as you know, so many people have left during the pandemic as well. And and I said, yes, I'm, I'm still here. He asked if I would like to interview for this international film. Didn't really know much about it at the beginning. Sent a self-tape, which my partner very, you know, shakily filmed, you know, on the, <laughs> on his iPhone... And, um, and yeah, they, they liked me. So then I was asked to go and meet them for a face-to-face audition at the Phoenicia, which was very strange. I mean, auditions at the best of times are uncomfortable experiences when you're sitting there with a panel, you know, literally giving you elevator eyes and just, you know, scrutinizing your look more than what you actually do, you oh know. My like my But imagine that with everyone masked up and visored up, minus you. So really, you're just seeing eyeballs and, oh, my heart was going ten a penny. I mean, and I've had some big auditions in my life for different things. And, but that really was one of the most uncomfortable because of the nature of it. The fact that everyone, you weren't able to see a smile. You weren't able to see that head nodding along. Is it nodding along with a, with a frown or with a smirk or with a, you know? Anyway, long story short, um, the character that I had originally uh, read for had a very small part. And then after seeing me, they kind of made my part a lot bigger. So I went from having only three shooting days and then my part was rewritten and my character's name was changed because that's another thing. The character originally was called Dimitri. And i got
0: to say, Jonathan Dunn, you do not look like a Dimitri. No,
1: exactly. So I think upon looking at me, it was like, oh, right. Well, we've got this tall ginger man. Let's, uh, let's call him Patrick. So that's, that suits a lot more uh, aptly, I think.
0: Was your and part always Scottish? Uh, it,
1: it wasn't really specified. And then I, I was asking so, am I Scottish? Am I American? Am I. Because the, 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 uh, the premise of our movie, as it were, all starts from the US, you know, and not most of the other actors being American. So one assumes that, you know, that you're going to be American as well. But I wasn't. I was using my own Scottish brogue, but not very thick. Kind of how I'm talking now. Maybe even more Americanized than this, because I am aware that my native tongue is not the easiest people to understand. So, um, but it was great. I was able to use my uh, my own voice, which I'm always much more comfortable with anyway, when I'm, you know, either being on stage or on film. I always... I always feel like a bit ooh there's that, that added layer of fear it's like because all it takes is one word or one syllable to be off and then it can almost undermine the the integrity of the whole performance I was finding it actually when I when I when I didn't know where my character was going to be from and I was you know trying to read him in a American accent and I've got quite a good uh, American accent but my American accent tends to segue into, not standardised, regional. So I sound as though I'm from, from New York. I, I, I really go into, the, like my, especially with my vowels. There were two words from, from my script, my audition script, which were walking tour. And I was able to do the whole thing in just a standard American accent. But those two bloody words, walk into a, <laughs> I sounded <his> as <laughs> like rolled straight out of the Bronx. Like my, my boyfriend, he used to live in Belfast. And I've got quite a good Belfast accent, but I have, like you're saying, I, I have to get into it somehow. And my kind of access word is any word like now, uh, which in Belfast is like noy. You know, there's no, there's no, you know, it's got, a, the, the O's have a very I sound to them, right now. Um,
0: very good Belfast accent, well happened. done. But then
1: beyond that, nothing much happens. Like I can say right now and then. And but <laughs> no did, but no. does
0: your partner, when you do that, does your partner appreciate your Belfast accent or does he just laugh?
1: Uh, well, he, he's just quite bemused because he's not actually Irish. Um, it's very, It's very interesting. He is actually Portuguese. And moved to Belfast seven, eight years ago with zero English. So learned from scratch to speak English and ultimately speaks English with a Belfast, a broad Belfast accent. So he's this tall, dark Portugueseer. But like, alright, how's it gone? You know, like speaks with a, a Belfast, it's mental. It's mental. <laughs> it's really, really mental. people are really confused when they meet him. They're like, sorry, what? Where? where <laughs> Where are you from? That is
0: pretty impressive. Yeah. Yeah, so. Listen, let's come back to your acting for, yeah. a, for a moment. You've done all different kinds of acting. I know you particularly from doing uh, theatre uh, and doing Shakespeare yeah. uh, over in San Antonio Gardens, but yeah. other productions as well. So you're a Shakespearean actor, you're a, a theatre actor, you're a film actor, as we've just been talking about, mm. and I'm sure you've done TV as well. What... What kind of acting is your favourite? What is the one that you are most comfortable with? Because they're so different.
1: Yeah. Um, What's well, a curious question? Like, what am I most comfortable with? Or, well, I, I, can, I can answer in two ways. What am I most comfortable with? And what do I crave the most? Yes. Because um, I never get the bloody roles that I want. That's the irony. I think every actor feels like that in some regard, That you, you never get the one that you really want. Um.
0: What is the role that you really want, the ultimate role that you would love to play?
1: Um, I don't think there's one particular role that I'm like, that's the one. Um, But like, what happens to me quite often is because of my height... And because of how I look, and to anyone who's never seen me before, don't worry, it's not, I'm not a monster. <laughs> um, but
0: <laughs> you're a very handsome tall. Well, I'm a handsome tall ginger Scottish man, right? ginger but, man. But I, I,
1: I'm not your, you know, your average five foot eight, five foot nine, dark, you know, guy who can kind of play any role, right? I often get cast in these kind of roles, which are. Um, odd, slightly odd or slightly eccentric or slightly, you know, uh, very few times in my life have I ever been cast as the male lead because I'm, I stand out too much. I, do you know what I'm saying? Like, it, it, I i just feel as though I don't conform to the idea of, of a, for example, a Hamlet. I mean, now that's me really blowing my own trumpet saying that I would be able to play Hamlet. I, I mean, I would love to. That, that would be a dream role, actually, now that we've got to that. Hamlet would be
0: But in Hamlet, in Shakespeare's Hamlet, if Mm. you don't play Hamlet, what would you be cast as? What do you think that you'd be cast as? Well,
1: this is the thing. It's like, you know, to to give you another example, like two years ago, so just before the pandemic, I did production of Macbeth at the Manuel Theatre. And, of course, the famous Scottish play. And many actors dream of being Macbeth. And from the word go... I knew that I wasn't even going to be considered, or I, I didn't. I didn't even allow my brain to go down that path because I knew I'm just not a Macbeth. But we'll probably and ulti- have the ulti- most. Ultimately, I was Banquo, so I, I knew that would happen, and that that was a role that I'd always wanted to play. So yeah, I mean, what I'm most comfortable playing, like definitely yes, I I I have a certain um, affiliation, I think as well. You could say with. Um, with Shakespeare with Shakespearean roles and Shakespearean certainly since I've lived in Malta I've I've had the opportunity to play a lot of different Shakespearean roles and that's been fun so that, that I would definitely say I'm comfortable there I love working with Shakespearean text I love discovering you know things through that but what do I what do I really aspire to I I aspire to to be a lead in something which is not like, you know, casting me as like someone who's weird, you know, like, you're not a weird lead, you know, what I mean, like, I, I'd like to be like, a I don't know, I'd like to maybe just play myself. You know, like, because how many tall, handsome, ginger men are the lead in a show, for example, and let's go one further. And this is something that I want to talk about today as well. Um, how many tall, ginger, handsome Scottish gay actors do you see getting lead roles not very many
0: do you think that's a, an issue are you, you are the one uh, that just mentioned being gay do yeah, you think yeah. that's an issue uh,
1: it's not 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 that it's an issue it just doesn't happen very often like what i'm saying is like because the, there's this whole thing right about um straight actors playing gay roles right there's a whole thing in hollywood about it you know a lot of people are in the lgbt plus community get very passionate about the fact that, you know, we should not be, be, you know, play, you know, they shouldn't be playing gay roles with straight actors, right? Other people get very, very passionate and say, well, well it's, it's acting. So wh- where's, the, where's the problem there? But th- there is a harsh reality that is, for example, in Hollywood, that a uh, openly gay actor is less likely to be cast in the lead role of a movie. Like, name one Oscar winning, openly gay man. Like, I mean, I'm sure there have been gay men who we've never known who were, you know, but like, I mean, off the top of my head right now, I can't think of a single one. And that's not to say that gay men have not won Oscars and have had their sexuality hidden or, or whatever, but like, there's definitely a stigma in the industry still. And if you look at gay representation or even LGBT plus um, representation in Hollywood, a lot of it is still very caricaturesque. And so, I I mean, I know a lot of gay actors who, as soon as their agent starts to market them or push them towards those types of roles, very often they never play straight ever again. They kind of fall into this cycle of being a gay actor. Now, I have no intentions of ever becoming a gay actor, right? That's not my... I've never actually played gay <laughs> before, which is hilarious. But yeah, because I'm as gay as Christmas. But the, um, <laughs> but the reality—that's true. But the, but I've never, I've never played, I've never played gay. But I, I would like to see myself, just to round up on this, this thing, um, playing a role as a gay man who is not a caricature. That's what I'm kind of getting at. Do you know what I mean? Not the excessively flamboyant character in the show. Do you know what I mean? Let me ask or you a the, question yeah, about yeah, that. Because
0: yeah. the inference is that any gay role is exaggerated. Mm. Do you think that that's because perhaps audiences are more comfortable with an exaggerated character than somebody who is gay and just absolutely run-of-the-mill normal. normal? Yeah, You wouldn't even know any difference. Yeah.
1: I think I think that's definitely... Um, definitely perhaps an aspect of that. I think if people feel that they can label or, you know, put, uh, oh, that's he's the gay one, you know, then maybe that makes them feel a little bit more comfortable about what they're watching or whatever. And, I mean, if we look at a lot of plays even that are out there, established plays um, with gay characters and gay roles most of them end up kind of being a caricature as well, you know, and certainly when you go and see a performance, they feel caricatures, they feel camp. And I think that we're still getting there where, as I, as I put it the other day to a friend, like, this character is just the same as all the other blokes in the pub, except he goes home and sleeps with his boyfriend instead of his wife, you know, and that's what, that's what I feel we're missing. A lot of literature, a lot of plays, a lot of films, a lot of the stuff that television shows that's out there. There's there's such a there's such a deal made about the fact of who this character sleeps with.
0: I'm going to ask you a question because yeah. we you're referring right there to diversity and inclusion. Yeah, yeah. And as you were talking, I was thinking to myself about other genders and so on yeah. that may be exaggerated, and I'm mindful of the fact that quite often women. Mm. are exaggerated and characterised and made to be maybe a little bit daft or maybe a little bit paranoid or maybe a little bit loud or maybe a little bit drunk or or whatever. Do you think that's because most writers are men?
1: I definitely think that that is part of the problem. Um, And I definitely think the fact that a lot of, not the fact that a lot of writers are men, a lot of writers with power are men. A lot of producers are men. A lot of casting, you know, like the the people who are pulling the the big strings continue to be, for the most part, male. Okay, yes, I would say gender equality in the arts is, of course, you know, far superior to other sectors of industry. Of course it is. Um, Is it? Is it really? I would say, I would say, I, I mean, I don't have any statistics, so don't, don't, don't come beating down my doors. You're wrong. Um, I just get that impression, you know, that one encounters a more equal degree of gender balance, I think, with, with, within the arts. But like I've said, I, I still think that a lot of the money, the purse strings are held in the position of men.
0: Well, you mentioned Hollywood before, and of course, that is something that's been <laughs> yeah. really in the public eye recently. About the the power is to straight
1: heterosexual, heterosexual white men. men who are only interested in money, and I mean, I could go on all bloody day. I mean, like, I mean, the thing that I am banging the drum about really, and I, I have this conversation over a few glasses of wine with friends, is about the the gay representation thing, and you know some of my some of my friends are much more well versed in the you know particular intricacies of it to to speak about it than i am but something i i do feel quite passionately about but certainly i mean it makes it makes you wonder when you look at how much money is involved in a production uh like the one that i've just completed for example you know the amount of money that is pumped into that Uh, I mean, the mind boggles, really, when you think about what is the revenue that Hollywood, you know, the industry at large is making. The the mind absolutely boggles.
0: Let me ask you about that production. Did your sexuality ever come up in question? You were playing the best friend.
1: Yeah, I was playing the best friend. Well, no. However, I was curious about it. Uh, I I was curious as to who my character was, and and you know, did he have a girlfriend? Did he have a boyfriend? You know, the the journey that any actor goes on when they're trying to find their character, right? And and who is this character of Patrick? And so no, it it, it never. I mean, it, it crossed my mind, um, but I wouldn't say that that then transcended into the performance in any in any way. But I think there was a subliminal message there, right? Like the the vibe between me and the other two girls felt very kind of what's the word I'm looking for it felt like the, the type of relationship I had with some of my own girlfriends so I suppose in that regard I was feeling the vibes you know but obviously you know what was on on script or it wasn't even mentioned you know there was no mention of a relationship or anything like that i didn't have a director saying, and this is that and this is that and this is no you know you were allowed your freedom in that regard which is which is great because i know of other people who have worked on different productions where they've literally been told what their character had for breakfast even though it's not in the script you know and and that type of direction doesn't sit well with me shall we say really i don't like anything which is methody I don't understand it. I don't understand why if you're playing a homeless person you need to go and sleep out in your back garden for 2 weeks to get into character. Like no, you don't. You don't. I just I just don't understand method acting. I mean, I studied it of course and and I've I've worked with other actors for whom it works.
0: So, Listen, yeah. Jonathan, you're talking about acting. You're talking about acting with such passion. Mm. I know you from Malta. I'm fairly sure that in other countries, northern European countries, you would have more acting opportunities than you have here in Malta. Yeah. And maybe wider acting opportunities than you have here in Malta, because you mentioned most parts go to five foot eight dark
1: (laughs) people. (laughs) Exactly.
0: You do stick out a tiny bit. But tell me, what brought you to Malta? What keeps you in Malta? Because it's Obviously not the acting opportunities.
1: Yeah, it's not. It's not the acting opportunities. Actually, uh, one of the producers on the movie actually said to me, "Why are you here?" <laughs> and I, I said, "What do you mean for this movie? Because you cast me." He said, "No, no. Why? Why are you here?" He told me, "You know, you would work a lot more if you were in Canada or in the UK or something. Why am I here?" Well, what,
0: what brought you here first?
1: Uh, a breakup seven years ago. Okay. Uh, split up with who I thought was the love of my life. And I was acting, but in between acting, I was I was working in a restaurant. I was a restaurant manager. had a great time living in Glasgow, uh, up and down from London, Manchester, you know, additions, the whole thing. I had an agent who, God love her, never understood me. She didn't know what I was to her, because every other guy on her books was five foot eight, dark, And kind of muscly, you know. And then she had this big lanky streak of piss, six foot four, (laughs) six foot four, right? Ginger man. And she just didn't know what to send me for. So she never really understood me. So I was just kind of between it all. And I said, right, I need to find some other string to my bowl. I was 25. A lot of my like long standing friendships, like they were all getting married, they were buying their first house, they were having a kid. And I'm like, I don't have a pot to piss in here. Literally, I was, like, keeping the wolf from the door constantly, a proper jobbing actor's lifestyle, which... Then I was in Venice for a festival, a theatre festival in Venice, and I was in a bar one night, and I hear these two guys who, speaking away in their Scottish accent, I'm like, oh, half flirting, half curious. I'm like, hi, how's it going? All right? And we get chatting. And long story short, these two gentlemen told me that they were teaching English in Venice, To which I replied, oh, so you must speak Italian? And they said, no. And I said, well, how does one teach somebody a language if you don't understand theirs? Ding, light bulb moment. Teaching English as a foreign language. I'd never even thought about it before. So they explained the whole concept of, like, TEFL to me. And I'm like, I could do that. So back to Glasgow and applied for a course at University of Glasgow. Then I finished, and I, so I had this qualification. I said, well, now well, I better do something with it. So I spoke to my agent and told her, I'm going to go away for six months. All right, darling, have fun. Uh, see, see you when you're back. And I started to apply for jobs, and I was offered three. Uh, one in Madrid, beautiful Madrid, one in Jakarta, in far-flung Indonesia, and one in this little island, Malta. And I said, well, do you know what? It's only going to be for six months, and I'm not going to go to Madrid, because then I'll have to learn Spanish, and I'm too lazy for that. I wasn't allowed to go to Indonesia under strict orders from my grandmother. And <laughs> she said, there's no bloody way you're going to Indonesia. So then it was Malta. So, of course, then I Google, you know, which part of Spain is Malta in, right? So I'd never been here, I didn't know very much about Malta. And yeah, so I arrived in spring of 2014. And seven years later, here we are having this conversation that just kind of went from there.
0: So now that brings me to my last question, which is what has kept you here?
1: If I'm being brutally honest, slightly narcissistic as well, I suppose, there is something which appeals to me about Malta and I think it appeals to a lot of the foreign populace here which is big fish small pond you learn if you have something different if you are different if you are unique by Malta standards then you're going to get recognized and noticed and etc for that be it good or bad you know so coming here from a, a situation where I was an actor struggling and the drought of, you know, like, oh, will I ever work? Will I ever work? You know, and another bloody year going to see all these bloody plays at the Fringe Festival. And then suddenly I was here and I did my first play a year after I got here. Uh, I was cast in, by total coincidence, uh, the prime of Miss Jean Brodie which obviously set in Edinburgh, so perfection. And it just kind of snowballed from there. And suddenly I... Was, was not short of offers for theater work, or advertising work, or a little voice over here or there, or you name it, you know? And and that was nice. I have to say, like, if I'm being brutally honest, like I'm not a narcissistic individual by nature, but like that that was a nice bit of an ego massage to suddenly be kind of in demand. So that's been a huge part of what kept me here. But also my my other work, not my acting work, uh, which has truly evolved, you know from Celta teacher seven years ago, my 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 professional career has totally pivoted and grown arms and legs it 's been my professional life that 's kept me
0: So Jonathan Dunn, we get to keep you here in Malta.
1: Um, well, maybe now 's a good time to do this <laughs> um, No, I was going to leave before the pandemic for no other reason than I just felt that it was it was time. I felt that I had done everything I had to do in Malta and that I wasn't going to be able to grow spiritually, professionally, whatever, any longer. So I decided it was going to be time for chow bai. Then, you know, this big bowling ball, COVID, came into all of our lives and knocked all of my, scattered all of my pins and i'll never forget the day that the high commission the british high commissioner released a statement in march of last year where it was like if you are a british citizen and you want to go now is the time and i remember today <laughs> reading that um statement and at the same moment glancing and the dog was looking at me and at this time he never had his passport And I just looked at the dog and I said, I can't leave him. Malta will indelibly be a part of my life forever. It has totally shaped the man that I am today, the seven years that I've had here. And I'm grateful for every single experience and every connection and every single second that I've spent on this island. However, I recognize that I need to leave because I would be heartbroken if there was ever even just a grain of resentment planted within me because of the things here that I don't like. Do you know what I'm saying? I can't afford to let that happen because I've had such wonderful memories here. I would hate to ever leave feeling, oh, I'm so sad that they did that, or oh, I'm angry about this, or I'm angry about... That. I mean. Don't get me wrong. I'm angry and I'm sad about a lot of what's happening in the country. Like a lot of Maltese people and a lot of foreign people are upset. But at the moment, the love outweighs the anything else, right? And I would hate that for that balance to ever be tipped in the other way. So,
0: well, listen, Jonathan, you will be missed. Okay. You will be greatly missed. Yeah. I know you will. And but I know that I can see from your your expression there that you are at peace with your decision. Thank you so much. For being on the interviewer, and I'm glad that we could grab the opportunity to do it before your future takes you into a different voyage. Yeah. Thank you for being here. Thank you for sharing. Thank you. Thank you, Trudy. I just want to tell you one thing. I've written a whole bunch of list of questions. We haven't asked one.
1: Not a single one.